BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Write that, write that down, Fumi Saito. <laughs> Okay. Well, today um, we are going to do this origin of title series, part two, I guess, mm-hmm. that the, the origin of Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship, All Japan's Crown Jewel, right? Mm. Yeah. And the, the Triple Crown, of course, it's a three title, three championship, International Heavyweight Title, UN, United States Heavyweight Championship, and PWF. Pacific Wrestling Federation uh, heavyweight title, the three set of uh, singles heavyweight title that was unified and made it into so-called triple crown. That's a unified title, so it means, I mean, it values more, right? And uh, we're going to each title's origin and how it came about the part of Japanese wrestling history that in a uh, history of international heavyweight title, history of UN title, and his history of PWF title until these three titles are combined and unified into one title. And we're probably not going to talk about today's Triple Crown. It is, we still have Triple Crowns, uh, All Japan heavy, uh, All Japan's Triple Crown title, which is uh, held by Yuji Nagata of New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's right. Yeah, so it's very interesting. It's the same lineage, and uh, if we understand this or, or this origin of heavyweight uh, triple crown or the each heavyweight title, I think uh, we understand and kind of appreciate more about this real uh, 60, 70-year history of this title. Yeah, yeah each title represented an, a little layer of that time period from the 60s 70s 80s 80s yeah yeah so they were unified international heavyweight title was it mm-hmm. and the un was originally held by antonio inoki mm. you know when when they were all, all together in jw jwa then the pacific wrestling federation title pwf title was created when jan baba opened all japan pro wrestling in 1972 which was well 50 years ago so mm. 
let's start uh, with international title. Okay, let's get right into it. All right, before we get right back into it, I wanted to say hello from Burbank, California. I wanted to say thank you for joining us again for another episode of Write That Down on the Fight Game Media Network. By the way, I'm Justin Nipper. Fighting media editor, staff writer, F4W Online, WrestlingObserver.com. I also work for Pro Wrestling Noah, Cyberfight Inc., and I'm back with Mr. Fumi Saito. That's right. We're talking about the origins of the Triple Crown today, All Japan Pro Wrestling's Triple Crown. Last week, we covered the origin of the IWGP championship title from New Japan. This week, Triple Crown. One message before we kick off everything if you have not already please subscribe to the fight game media network podcast feed it's on spotify apple wherever you're usually listening to your podcasts hit the subscribe or the bell or whatever icon or direction it gives you please follow it for us for fight game media it helps us out very much all right next week another new episode origins of the ghc title GC heavyweight title. All right. All right. Let's really jump into it. International. Okay. Triple crown. International heavyweight title. UN. United National heavyweight title. And PWF. Pacific Wrestling Federation heavyweight title. Uh, three different singles title uh, that existed. And uh, we'll start with the international heavyweight title, which goes back all the way to 1958. That's a long time ago. It's <laughs> a very long time ago. So this is this is before All Japan Pro Wrestling. Be- yes, it was a JWP. I mean, a JWA. Nippon Pro Wrestling. Ricky Dawson. Mm. The origin was 1958. August 27th of uh, 1958. Lu- uh, Ricky Dawson beat Lou in... Los Angeles. That was the beginning of international heavyweight title. It was one of the the big, big, monumental matches in Japanese wrestling history. Yeah, which was actually very, very controversy. Mm-hmm. When August of 1958, though, okay, <clears throat> uh, Ricky Dozan beat Ruthes at Los Angeles Olympic Auditorium, and. Uh, it was actually announced at the beginning, Ricky Dozen beat Luthes for the World Heavyweight title, announced in Japan. World Heavyweight title, okay? Mm-hmm. And August of 1958, actually, Luthes wasn't even world champion. So there... When they talk about World Heavyweight Championship, World Heavyweight title, you automatically feel that, it, you think that it's... NWA, right? National mm-hmm. Wrestling Alliance, World Heavyweight Title, right? I mean, you associate with Ruth S. Sure. Yeah. But actually, Ruth S. wasn't even the champion of, of NWA World Title in August of 1958. He dropped the title to Dick Hutton in October of 1957. So NWA champion was Dick Hutton technically at the time. And but Ricky Dawson and Luther's single match took place in summer of 1958, and Ricky Dawson beat him. And the Japanese press 
uh, through JWA, Nippon Pro Wrestling, they announced the news that uh, Ricky Dawson beat Luthes finally uh, for the World, World Heavyweight title. Mm. And then the ne- very next day, UPI and AP, you know, the Newswire, mm-hmm. I mean, real Newswire, they reported it. It was not even the world title match. It was not, uh, in fact, it wasn't even the main event. Non title bout, bout Rick Dozen beat Ruth S. Like, mm. What, right? It's because UPI and AP Newswire outside of wrestling community, huh? Yep. And that's mainstream news associated press. Yeah, yeah. But they reported it that, uh, like a country, country to Japanese news report that uh, it seemed uh, that the single match between Luthes and Ricky Dawson happened. Okay, because Japanese newspaper was there, and they weren't sure if they announced it as world heavyweight title title match. If it meant NWA world title, Luthes wasn't even champion at the time. It was Dick Hutton. And uh, but clearly, Ricky Dawson beat Luthes in Los Angeles that night. When actually, it was like a count out finish in today's term, you know, that uh, Luthes tried to get back in the ring and, and standing in the apron, and Ricky Dawson in the ring throwing karate chop, you know. And drop Ruthes onto the you know onto the apron onto the floor, and so it's like a referee count to the count out finish. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't exactly pinfall or submission, but it was, and also the a two out of three four match at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And one finish, one fall involved DQ ending. So technically, if it was even a title match of some sort. That the the championship shouldn't change hand. Are you are you with me on that? Yeah, and this was also a time period where count out or DQ finish could mean the title would change hands. Would it? Back then, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but mm-hmm. the DQ involvement in like in the first fall, second fall, fall, that the champion would keep the title though because mm-hmm. of it. And they would yeah. they would call a no contest or something. Something like that, yeah. But uh, so it was really controversy ending at the building too. So it wasn't like a two two sets of pinfalls or submission anything like that. But seemingly Ricky Dozen beat Luthes that night two against one in like a two one like a you know like two out of three four match, and uh, Ricky Dozen returns to Haneda Airport. Okay. Mm-hmm. And saying that, uh, yeah, as announced it, you know, announced previously a couple of days ago that I beat Luthes for the world heavyweight title, title. That's how I understand. Then the newspaper said, where is the championship belt, right? And he didn't bring it back, you know. And then, then the explanation was that, the, well, actual physical championship belt is Luthes' belonging. I didn't get it. <laughs> Are you with me on that? Yeah. There's a bit of a perception issue. Kind of, was it really the heavyweight bell? Uh, I mean, or oh, the what, title match? What, or what? Like, what was what was the value of that match actually in in the eyes of uh, the fans? It was kind of it was gray. It was blurry. And also, see, in previous trip to America or Hawaii, the Ricky Dozen videotaped everything, right? Mm-hmm. On that night. As important match as this one, 
This was not videotaped. Yeah, Ricky Dozan would usually record his entire his trip, him arriving yeah, at the airport, Hawaii, the training Hawaii, and running in the beach and all everything else, wearing yeah. the Hawaiian shirt and uh, yeah, and, yeah. And you would think if you're going over on Luthes for the title, you would tape everything, right? Sure. Videotape this yeah. match do not exist, you know. Hmm. And in in the NWA title lineage or the record that Luthes of 1958 was not world heavyweight champion, okay. Hmm. And quickly, very next day, the Japanese press announced that it was actually international heavyweight title that the Ricky Dozan won from Luthes, international heavyweight title. And they try to confuse the world heavyweight title and international heavyweight title. A little bit of a change in the name of the title. But also, we ha you have to ask, is there such championship or the, or the title belt called international heavyweight title at the time? I mean, recognized by who? I don't believe so. Mm, this, what, what year was this? This 1958. was... Oh, I mean, it's, uh, no, it wouldn't be until later that people would start using international or intercontinental. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, but the, clearly, okay, uh, Luthes made his very first trip to Japan back in November, of, October of 1957 as champion and had a Korakuen Stadium match and Osaka match and all around the horn and had the very historical very first singles title match against Ricky Dozen the previous year, 1957. 60-minute uh, draw and, and double count-out, other finish that uh, Ricky Dozen did not beat uh, Luthes for the world title and made it uh, that it is so hard to win this world heavyweight title. That made Luthes even bigger star, okay? Hmm. And next year, 1958, or August of 1958, Ricky Dozen traveled to Los Angeles and finally beat Luthes for the title. But August of 1958, Luthes was not NWA world champion at the time. Uh, like 11 months before, uh, before uh, 10 months before that, he dropped the title in, in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada to Dick Hutton. And actually, Luthes was not NWA World Heavyweight Champion that night. But then again, then again, though, wh wherever he went in the program and, uh, you know, the, the leaflet or, you know, the pamphlet program at the building that you buy, there's always a description underneath Luthes' uh, photos. Luthes, international champion. Mm. So it's got a very interesting twist that uh, there, there might not be a championship belt or the title championship called international heavyweight title or by recognized by anybody, but uh, wherever he traveled or, you know, he, he was not an NWA champion, but he still traveled all over U.S. and for that matter, all over the world, right? Hmm. And whenever he appeared, the photo of Luthes, and underneath says Luthes, then usually said international ch champion. So it was like his second name. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It was uh, very closely associated with Luthes from then. Yeah. So Luthes, international champion. And 
this is wrestling, you know, you, you, you may not be recognized by any organization or anything like that, but he, his nickname was international champion. Then, um, so, but uh, for the record, there was no such thing as international heavyweight championship within WA sanction. Okay. But Ricky Dozen beat Luthes in Los Angeles that night, and the, the photo was taken, and the story was written, and, and Japanese sports paper, newspaper, Mainichi Shimbun, all these th- newspapers were there, and they witnessed. Yeah, well, Ricky Dozen beat, uh, it was something was very difficult at, at, at the end, but Ricky Dozen beat Luthes that night. And he was already announced in Japan. See, news traveled kind of slowly over there, though. I mean, that around that time period. Mm-hmm. And we have no record of it, but probably even after Luthes dropped NWA World Title to Dick Hutton, he still probably traveled all over the place as a champion, defended title for that matter. Right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that night in Los Angeles with photographers, no video cameras. Very, very uh, interesting twist. But mm-hmm. uh, photographers were there, and Rick Tozan beat Luthes. It probably wasn't technically a title match, but in Japan, it was a title match. It was reported that Rick Tozan finally beat Luthes for the World Heavyweight title. But it quickly became international championship in Japan. And uh, origin, origin was such, but uh, Rick Tozan kept the title, and uh, it wasn't the exact same physical belt, but the, he had championship belt looked just like Luthes's belt. The one was made, huh? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Replica, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you've seen the photos that uh, Ricky Dozan wearing this Luthes design belt. Sure, it's kind of skinnier than the usual championship belt. Yeah, like belt, the medals, right? you know. Yeah, like an actual yeah. belt with buckles. Yeah, like a thirty years, thirty years later, that uh, Luthes brought it back to Japan and then gave it to Nobuhiko Takada. Remember? Mm-hmm. And it became yeah. the symbol of his UWF, UWF. Yeah, I... and the Pro Wrestling World Heavyweight Championship, yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. But anyhow, that uh, Ricky Dozen's international reign start from that. Uh, Nineteen fifty-eight. For the ne- 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 for next five years, until his passing in December of 1963, that Ricky Dozen held this international heavyweight title for five years. It became household that uh, your marquee, the the champion the championship for JWA Nippon Pro Wrestling. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, and it's still a part yeah. of the. It's the one third of the Triple Crown today. That all that lineage still continues. Yeah, yeah, the international title. The, but he defended, uh, you know, this international heavyweight title like the Crown Jewel. And uh, interestingly enough, that uh, if you watch real old tape from like a uh, 61. Ring announcer is announcing like a world championship match. <laughs> you mm. know what I'm saying? And it was treated like a huge deal. Yeah, so they all tried, tried to confuse you, uh, international heavyweight title and the world heavyweight title. Well, probably a lot of people thought it was one in the same. Yeah, doesn't world mean 
international in some way. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And the international title is a world title. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's a semantics at some point, but right. but for it didn't the, bother for too many people. Five years, Ricky Dozan kept this international heavyweight title as crown jewel, and it became very important, the most important you know championship in Japan. Then he, Ricky Dozan, you know, passed passed away in December of 1963. Okay, mm. and it was going to be that that the international heavyweight title will be vacant. Um, you know, celebrating Ricky Dozan's legacy and and the historical importance that the title will be vacant forever. Then three uh, that uh, three years uh, two years later. 1965, J, uh, the JWA Nippon Pro Wrestling decided to decided to revive this title. Uh, 1965, and the tournament was held, and Giant Baba, the new superstar of Japan at the time, 1965, that uh, tournament was held, and the final was Giant Baba against Dick the Bruiser. November of 1965, then Giant Baba became pretty much uh, that uh, the face of the company and the biggest superstar uh, of Japanese wrestling after Rick Dozan. Are you with me on that? Mm. Yes. Yeah. So 65 on next seven years until he departs from JWA, um, July of 1972. Uh, to be exact, so he held the title for seven years. Yeah. Oh, in, in between, he dropped the title to Bobo Brazil for a couple of days and Gene Kniski for a week or two. But uh, all in all, it was Jan Baba's championship for seven years or so. Yeah. So he carried mid sixties into early seventies until Baba decided to leave the company and form his own All Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm -hmm. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But the old, uh, the, the Nippon Pro Wrestling actually kept the title uh, international. You know, the Baba had to bring the title, you know, championship physical belt back to the company and made it vacant. And uh, Kintaro Oki, Kim Il of Korea, mm. uh, Kintaro Oki had a little tournament and he beat Bobo Brazil and uh, he became international champion. He kept that international title as Ricky Dozen's heritage and he kept it pretty much until like 81. Yeah. But at the same time, in 1981, Jan Baba's Old Japan 
decided to revive this international title with the uh, with the blessing of Jim Crockett uh, of NWA, uh, the, you know, president of NWA uh, organization at the time, the Jim Crockett Jr. from Mid Atlantic, right? North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, they to put, tried to portray Jim Crockett Jr. as the biggest promoter of America at the time. And Baba brought him in and had a mini tournament. And that the 1981 revived version of international heavyweight title for all Japan pro wrestling, okay? Uh, the tournament was held, and the final was Dory Funk Jr. and Bruiser Brody. It was 1981. So they completely revived the international heavyweight title again for the third time, right? Mm-hmm. And Brody was injured, so they awarded the title to uh, Dory Funk in the ring by Jim Crockett. And uh, tonight we are going to have Dory Funk Jr.'s first title defense and they took the you know like a voting and poll you know and then uh, the the piece of you know sometimes they do that you know like a piece of you know like a string or a piece of paper or something that the, whomever got the piece of paper will be the the challenger tonight mm-hmm. and interestingly enough it was terry funk who got the piece of paper then the title match was held that night dory funk jr against terry funk for the first time wow interesting yeah yeah, 58-minute match, Dory Funk, older brother, beat younger brother, Terry Funk. And they made the uh, international heavyweight title very, you know, important, you know, just overnight, don't you think? I think yeah. so. I mean, from there, there was the international title that was the, the big symbol of of excellence in all Japan, but there were the other titles as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Oh, that's so, right. Eighty-one on to Dory Funk, Brody back to Dory Funk and Brody, then Jumbo, then Stan back to Jam Jumbo, then Brody, Brody to Jumbo, and then it was basically Jumbo and Brody title. Yeah, on. Um. And we'll get to that the unification match. So that was the history of international heavyweight title. Can I go into United National UN title? Yeah, let's talk about that because that had a different that had a different route to all Japan. It didn't come from you know, uh, how, it, it didn't follow the same path the JWA International World Title. Uh, actually, followed. it was similar because it came from Los Angeles too. In 1970, um, the first champion was like Dale Lewis. And Pantera Negra, the, the, the Ray Mendoza, they onto John Tolas, you know, John Tolas, the big mm-hmm. LA star, right? Mm-hmm. In March of 1971, Antonio Inoki, younger Antonio Inoki, right? Traveled to like a 29 year old Antonio Inoki, traveled to Los Angeles, Olympic Auditorium. For some reason, always Olympic Auditorium, huh? <laughs> that was the center for, uh, for a lot of the big West Coast shows. Yeah, and then also always stage. affiliated with Japanese wrestling company, huh? Mm-hmm. A lot of big yeah. matches happen in Los Angeles with Japanese wrestlers from Inoki. Yeah, well, much like Ricky Dozan against Ruthess, Ricky Dozan against Freddie Blassie. Mm-hmm. Or there was a title match like Giant Baba against the Sheik, Giant Baba against Gene Kniski and stuff like that. And it was actually a title designed to make Antonio Inoki singles competitor along with Giant Baba. 
See, until 1970, 1971, Inoki was Giant Baba's tag team partner, international tag team match. And Inoki didn't exactly have a single title for himself. And it was United National, UN. United National title sounds much like international title, doesn't it? UN, yeah. Although, I mean, when you hear UN, the first thing that pops into my mind is, is United Nations for some reason, which has nothing to do with pro wrestling. United Nations, yeah, yeah just, the United like, Nations yeah, know, uh, democracy or, and, yeah, and organization, and, and, mm. yeah, yeah, but, but but yeah, so they kind of a UN title is such a made up name, but the United National title had this flag like US and Mexico and Canada and Japan, but national just means one country. Yeah, but the United National title. <laughs> well, if it was, shouldn't it be a United International title? I don't know. Don't, please don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, if you really want to look into the, the semantics and, and the, the syntax yeah, of these titles. Yeah, please. but this is wrestling after. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, but if people want to do that. United National title. As if there was a whole bunch of national title. Oh, there was a national champion in Georgia at, at one point. But anyhow, that the United champion. So it was united somehow. And the concept was U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and Japan. Four countries. <clears throat> anyhow, Antonio Inoki beat John Tallis, John Tallis in, in, in Olympic Auditorium March 1971 and brought the title back home to be his singles match title. What was interesting was though, in 1971, actually it started in 69, but the Channel 4, NTB, Nippon TV, and Channel 10, uh, NET, National Educational Channel, now it's TV Asahi, but the two network carried one company, you know, mm -hmm. both JWA. Same JWA Nippon Pro Wrestling, but the Monday night that the TV Asahi had a that uh, primetime network, Inoki's on top. And Friday night, JWA had another, um, well, actually, actually, this was older, but the NTV had Friday night, eight, eight o'clock uh, wrestling, which had Jan Baba's primetime, I mean, uh, the, the main guy. So it was really confusing. One company, you know, the two different network channel carrying one wrestling companies, two different shows. It eventually became New Japan and All Japan. It had to. But uh, at the time, Inoki was on top on, on one, one, one show and didn't have singles title. You know, it was about time that the, to create a, a singles, like, worthy championship. I mean something, right, uh, for Inoki. And Inoki won the title and made Baba's equal. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, that uh, in 1971, that after Inoki brought the UN title back, but the same design uh, belt that uh, they had the, the Jumbo or Tenru or, you know, Billy Robinson, the Ted DiBiase later on, the you know it's the same like a big you know round title with the title belt, remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that belt, the physical belt, was brought in back to Japan, and uh, Inoki had eight months 
eight month run uh, as a UN champion, and he had a title defense against people like Freddie Blassie, younger Jack Briscoe, or the big name Fritz von Erich, and young Dick Murdoch, and, and he was defending title, you know, having a real good match. And but the end of 1971, Inoki got terminated, right? That he was fired by JWA, um, going into bookkeeping of the company and try to change the company. And they thought Inoki was going to take over and steal the company or whatever, some, you know, backstage thing that Inoki, all in all, was fired by JWA at at December of 1971. So the title, the UN title became vacant. Then, Another phantom, I'm sure, that the phantom tournament was held in Los Angeles and wrestler King Crow, that uh, his uh, original King uh, Dan Crawford from Calgary, he appeared as champion in Sakaguchi, Seiji Sakaguchi, traveled to Los Angeles and King Crow to become UN champion, United National Champion, one year run and dropped the title after i mean right right before he joined new japan you know uh he dropped the title to johnny valentine aged johnny valentine but it was just teeny bit before his plane crash right but uh, uh seiji sakaguchi upon his you know leaving a company uh, he, dro- he dropped the title to johnny valentine and uh, akihisa takachiho uh, beat johnny valentine for un title Akihisa Takachiho later on becomes great Kabuki. That's a useless trivia, but you know what I'm saying? Hmm. Yeah. Then while Takachiho was holding UN Tairo, JWA altogether went down, went out of business. So from Sakaguchi, Sakaguchi joining New Japan and leaving in you know, leaving the belt, you know, in JWA ring and uh, the the Johnny Valentine and Takachiho, you know, switched belt, and the JWA wanted to keep UN title too, just like they wanted to keep Jan Baba's international title. But uh, altogether, in 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 April of 1973, old Nippon Pro Wrestling JWA went down, and uh, that uh, they went out of business. Three years later, 1976. Jan Baba's Old Japan decided to revive UN title. Let's get, get into it, right? Mm. Yeah. 1976, three years later, Jan Baba decided, decided to revive UN title. Okay. And the that, that, uh, title match was held between Jumbo Tsurura and Jack Briscoe. It was right after Jack Briscoe's NWA title run, you know. <clears throat> Summer of 1976, Jumbo beat um, then contender Jack Briscoe to become new UN United National Champion. Then um, UN became number two belt for all Japan. And this version of UN title was held by Jumbo Tsura, Billy Robinson, back to Jumbo Tsura, then Dick Murdoch, back to Jumbo, Abdullah the Butcher, back to Jumbo, Harley Race, back to Jumbo, and he was pretty much uh, Jumbo's number two belt behind Baba's PWF belt, okay? Mm. And in summer of 83, Jumbo beats 
uh, Brody for international title. Therefore, he returns UN title. Then the UN titles tour mini tournament was held, and Ted DiBiase beat Tenru to become um, UN champion. Then Tenru beat DiBiase, and it was basically Tenru's belt for the you know the, the reminder of time, like from from Jumbo to uh, uh, I mean not Jumbo vacant. Uh, Ted DiBiase won the title, then uh, uh, DiBiase to. Tenru and Tenru to oh David Von Eric. They announced it that uh, David Von Eric, another phantom uh, title change. They announced it. Michael Hayes and Michael Hayes and David Von Eric held the title match vacant. Uh, title match. David Von Eric beat Michael Hayes in Texas phantom, right? Because if there were such title, Japanese photographers would be there, right? Sure. But anyhow, David Von Eric arrives Japan January of 1984 with UN belt on his shoulder and had held a press conference. David Von Eric, new UN champion. Okay. Then very next day, David Von Eric was found dead in hotel in Tokyo. Hmm. That was tragic, huh? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the same year, Tenru and Ricky Steamboat had another title match that, that to decide the new champion. And Tenru beat Ricky Steamboat to become a UN champion once again. And pretty much remind reminder of time, the time that uh, Tenru held the title until um, 89-90. Yeah. So Jumbo had international title and Tenru had UN title, huh? The number one and number two. Yeah. Then we'll get to this PWF title. Yeah. Because it was always confusing for a kid, grew, you know, growing up in 70s and 80s that all Japan always had like PWF title, international title, and UN title. Why do they have three single champion? Right? Yeah. And how can I watch <laughs> PWF? Doesn't yeah, exist. P yeah, PWF is was considered number one title at the time. No, but I um, mean the actual the the promotion itself. There's no promotion. Yeah, but the Pacific Wrestling Federation's headquarters is in Honolulu, Hawaii. I okay, so that's how they were, <laughs> you know, spinning. Yeah, they wanted yeah. they wanted to make it sound like it was a international organization. Sure. You don't want your title to be recognized by All Japan Pro Wrestling. Does that make sense? Well, can you elaborate? Well, because then it's like, well, wrestling fan want the, the, the championship to be internationally recognized, you know, from Ricky Dawson's days. So that was really yeah. important back then to have it internationally recognized. Or uh, that the organization outside of your company. Mm hmm yeah, you can have wrestling company, but uh, much like see boxing, you know, that the title match can be held in Las Vegas, but uh, boxing champion, you know, WBC or WBA or IB, IBF or World Boxing Organization, WBO, or, you know, those are the entity and organization outside of the promotion company hmm. or promoter. It is like... 
It sounds kind of dumb, but uh, that's the mentality of wrestling fan, or I guess including myself as a kid, that the title championship belt should be recognized by somebody outside or mm-hmm. the organization far away. Mm-hmm. You and I talked about it before that, you know, the origin of WWE, WWF, or World Wrestling, uh, Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the, the very first title was what the championship tournament was held in Rio de Janeiro or something, right? Yeah, the, I didn't know that WWWF was running shows in Brazil back then. <laughs> no, yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and then the Buddy Rogers beat Antonino Rocco or something, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But Buddy actually, Rogers. that uh, one day Buddy Rogers pops up on television as world heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, upon the opening of All Japan Pro Wrestling in October of 1972, no belts yet, right? Mm-hmm. That the opening series, a tour, like with Giant Baba, the Thunder Sugiyama, the... Uh, Bruno San Martino, Freddie Blassie, Dory Funk Sr., and Terry Funk, and all these international superstars from America. And the miss, that uh, widow of Ricky Dozan, that uh, Keiko Momota, shows up uh, in the ring and brought this big, uh, that the nice, you know, the wooden case. And open the case, there goes Ricky Dawson's International Heavyweight Physical Championship belt. It was given to Baba. Use this belt, okay? So, are you with me? So it's mm-hmm. like origin of PWF is a lot like Ricky Dawson's international title too. Because mm-hmm. they initially used Ricky Dawson's physical belt you know, until they changed the design. But the, the initially, Rick, the, 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 the widow of Ricky, Ricky Dozan, Keiko Momota-san, came into the ring, you know, to the ring and, and they gave this box, this belt. It was in, in the you know, nice box that, the, please use the, this belt. And then Baba said, okay, we will be holding a World Heavyweight Tournament to determine this, that the... Uh, first world champion and Baba had a series of matches against people like Bruno San Martino, Terry Funk, Abdullah the Butcher or Dick Byer Destroyer or Welber Snyder, the Don Leo Jonathan, the Pat O'Connor, the Bobo Brazil, that all the top talent from America at the time. And he made the record of uh, 10 matches, eight win and two draw. Therefore at the last match was uh, Bobo, uh, Baba against Bobo Brazil. Interestingly enough, Baba beat Bobo Brazil to become world heavyweight champion, 1973. Then it was that the new com- the organization was that formed in Honolulu, Hawaii, by Lord James Blair's Pacific Wrestling Federation. Pacific Wrestling Federation's president, Lord James Blair's, come to Japan and recognize Jan Baba as their first world champion. It's a, this is a good, good story, don't you think? And uh, Lord James Blears would appear for decades after that. Yeah, just to come ev- over to Japan to read the, uh, we'll recognize this as a title match, right? Yeah, like the official announcement before the, the big, some you know, some of the biggest matches in the history of the Triple Crown. He, yeah, he, so he's there. He, Gives title this prestigious taste. Prestige. That's that's the word I'm, I was thinking, but I couldn't think of it earlier. The, yeah. the prestige well, of the belt. Japanese wrestling love that. 
Yeah. Goes all the way back to, you know, Ricky Dawson. This is like a vice prime minister was reading that uh, in the ring way back when. Right. Right. Yeah. And politician come in and read, uh, sanctioned by so and so, and you know, will recognize this title match as a world title match, nineteen so and so and so, and in the dates and person, and it gives this like legitimacy to uh, championship. Anyhow, Lord James Blair's was the perfect role, don't you think, to do sure. that? Yeah. And uh, very first PWF, Pacific Wrestling Federation World Heavyweight Champion, was Giant Baba. Then another twist, January of 1974, the following year, Giant Baba becomes NWA member, membership of National Wrestling Alliance, okay? Mm -hmm. NWA do not recognize two world champions. Therefore, that uh, at the time was a probably Hardy Race or Jack Briscoe, probably Jack Briscoe at the time. Then that uh, PWF will now drop the world, the word world. So it's not PWF World Heavyweight Title. It's simply. Pacific Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship title uh, recognized by PWF and also sanctioned by NWA. That gave NWA the biggest organization in the world aura too, at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know how, I just have to explain, you know, it, it has to be over either 50 or 60 in Japan uh, that every single wrestling fan over 55 or 60, I mean, older guys, okay, older than me almost, mm. that uh, they, every single one of these wrestling fans in Japan thought NWA, National Wrestling Alliance in America, was the biggest governing body or wrestling organization in the whole world. Therefore, NWA World was the biggest thing. I guess yeah. you could compare it to like a FIFA or something, like a real like governing like body. Yeah, but the... Uh, if they, you know, they um, they lecture you every Friday night over and over and over that the greatest wrestling organization is NWA, greatest wrestling organization in the world, NWA this and M NWA that, just brainwash you for twenty next twenty years. Mm. And right. uh, yeah, so uh, I dispute that, right? Then uh, all the wrestling fans get seriously get angry. What are you talking about? NWA was the biggest wrestling organization. So, uh, it's really hard for you know people to change that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sometimes yeah, uh, NWA was a com. It's a complicated uh, history. It's not. It wasn't just one thing. One, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and whenever the president of NWA was that, 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 that territory becomes big, much like your Bob Geigel era or even Fritz von Erich was NWA president, Eddie Graham of Florida was NWA president, and NWA Crockett, that uh, Jim Crockett Jr. promotion, North Carolina, with Ric Flair, that became the biggest NWA territory too. So it, it depends on what, the era and years you look at. That it varies, right? Yeah, and the, just the name NWA meant something a little bit different to each part of the, at least the North American territories. Uh, yeah, because when especially... I lived in yeah when I lived in Minnesota. 
that the, these ringside fans, a serious wrestling fan, right? They didn't know NWA. Uh, the, uh, that the, if you lived in Minnesota, AWA, Vern Gagne's AWA was it. That's it. You know, the biggest major league of professional wrestling, and, and that's all. And uh, it was an eye-opening for me, you know, at the time. But anyhow, that uh, Jan Baba, January of 1974, got... Uh, got the membership of NWA. Therefore, PWF dropped the word world and just simply PWF uh, the heavyweight title. Okay? And from 1974 on, Baba held it and Killer Tor Kamata, of all guys, Billy Robinson, Abdullah the Butcher, back to Baba and Harry Race on it and Baba uh, again, then Stan, Baba, Stan, uh, Baba and Stan, uh, Ricky Choshu for a brief moment, and then back to Stan, and it was the PWF title that, that was a giant Baba's vehicle uh, to carry this, you know, first 10 years of All Japan Pro Wrestling, okay? Then um, March of uh, uh, March to July, that the UN champion Tenru and PWF champion Stan Hansen, uh, two champions, right? I'm gonna go, go one more time. PWF champion at the time, Stan Hansen, and UN champion Tenru. Tenru and Stan had a series of title match, double title match, okay? Mm-hmm. Then eventually Stan beat Tenru to have double belt, okay? Both PWF and UN champion Stan Hansen. So UN champion, PWF double champion Stan Hansen meet international champion Jumbo Tsura in uh, April of 89. Then Jumbo beat Stan to have all three belts. International, PWF, and UN. That's the beginning of Triple Crown reign. That the April 18th of 1989. 1989 is very special year in Japan. That uh, it was Showa era ended, the Showa Emperor passed away, and the Heisei era started, the brand new era. Now Heisei's over. It's Reiwa now. This is hard to. to, to uh, if you don't know, don't know Japanese, you know the calendar year and uh, what do you call it? That the Gengo we call it. Uh, we do have year 2000 and it's you know international dates, but uh, we do have imperial year still. Mm-hmm. And this you know about that, right? That period 1989 it paralleled was Heisei first, yeah. And it was also the year that Inoki left. Pro wrestling for yeah, to run public office, right? So, so that made the clearly very different. Uh, the, the brand new era, huh? Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. also really we saw less and less of both Jumbo and Giant Baba. Giant Baba, from this the owner point. and promoter, and kind of like your uh, general manager in Major League Baseball or something, right? Mm-hmm. He was still active. You know, Giant Baba never retired. But what he did was he had he was working six man tag team every night all year long, and that Jan Baba's comical rather you know comedy relief tag uh, six man tag team was always held right before the intermission. Then after the intermission, all the serious match starts. How's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know with Jumbo and Tenru 
and Tenru eventually turned heel on ba- the Jumbo. So he was like a Japanese baby face and Japanese heel. Jumbo ba- big baby face and Tenru big biggest heel, but still actually pretty popular because you know how Japanese wrestling that the not clear cut baby face and heel, right? Mm-hmm. It's more of a competition type. And in Japan, there's no promo. There is no clear storyline or backstage skits or anything, you know, skit or anything like that. But the storyline is rather simple. Who will be your next challenger for the title, right? Yeah, and it's really case by case to each, especially back right, then. Right, right. So uh, as a position goes, Jumbo's never heel, so always big baby face. But and, and the, that made Tenru the biggest star of heel side. But a lot of people secretly loved Tenru, right? Then a lot of people secretly hated Babyface Jumbo, probably, you know. But it complemented each, each other that uh, having Jumbo and Tenru single match against each other, that made Tenru bigger star, but actually made Jumbo stronger Babyface too at the same time because he's bigger and better wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. And Tenru always underdog, popular underdog at that, and start having like a very equal match against people like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody, you know, and that elevated Tenru, and the Triple Crown thing made made the thing more, you know, a lot more simple because if you had this international title and PWF title and UN title, three different singles title, who is actually better? or the bigger star, it's really confusing, right? So that uh, this unification, you know, like a six month period was really exciting. That uh, UN champion Tenru against PWF champion Stan Hansen, series in series of title match. It was like Stan against Tenru, very physical match. And it was like, they thought Tenru Stan Hansen match was better than anything Jumbo was in. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, Jumbo is so subtle that uh, he's not so overly excited. And uh, Tenru always had more emotional side. And he didn't have all that big moves, just big Tenru's chop, you know, like a backhand chop that he does constantly. And a little bit of uh, uh, maybe elbow drop. But at the end of the night, big power bomb. Mm. And... uh, the, the more simple, the better or something. And Stanson doesn't have all that many wrestling moves. He just brawls, right? But with both Tenru and Hanson, they both had, it was kind of the personality that, that colored everything they kind did in the ring. Yeah, like yeah. Ten, when Tenru would get angry, it was it's always very noticeable. Yeah, yeah. And people can be really with him, you know, mm-hmm. because he kind yeah. of they feel like you know he he, he deserved it. it. He deserved it kind of being this number three guy by default. Right, right. There's a little and, bit of that. Uh, um, what then is people it? wonder he's actually just as good as Stan and Jumbo. Right, right. Yeah. And Brody. So I think yeah, both Tenru and Hanson. Brody left. You know, Brody left the New Japan in the middle of it, and uh, he made the room, you know, available for for Tenru to kind of elevate himself. At mm. the same time, if you remember, 1985 and 1986, Ricky Choshu and his 15 guys as Japan Pro Wrestling was in Old Japan Ring. That's right. 
Yeah, yeah. Ten Rood's package against Ricky Choshu's package, uh, tag team, whatever, right? Ricky Choshu switched in his tag team partner. Sometimes Animal Hamaguchi, sometimes Masa Saito, sometimes Yoshiaki Yatsu or Keller Khan, whomever. And Tenru and Ashurahara or Tenru and Fuyuki or, or sometimes Kawada, right? And they had this great tag team feud. And... Uh, Tenru and his guys went back to New Japan, and Brody left. That left this big, kind of little big room that for Tenru to take over. And Tenru became even bigger star because, uh, I mean, after after Brody and Ricky Choshu guys left. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah. And Stan that's... was always there. Stan Hansen was there, like your home run guy. Yeah. Well, that's when Ten really started to break out as a, a single superstar. I think so, yeah. And actually, people always wanted him that way, yeah. Hmm. And he'd eventually... Ten, he, he, Ten was more fired up than the Jumbo. Cool. <clears throat> Jumbo is always like a, like a, like a cool and, of course, coherent, uh, more like a, like, straight wrestler, not much emotion to it, you know? He's like but a policeman. When, yeah, but the, when Jumbo had a single match against Tenru in the single match program, Jumbo had to fire up too. That That's made right. Jumbo yeah, more popular too. So it worked both ways. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, this uh, title unification match happened in April of 1989, the beginning of Heisei era, that the uh, double champion ten, ten, uh, Stan Hansen, PWF and UN champion against international champion uh, Jumbo Tsuru, Jumbo beat him. That was DQ ending, but uh, still, they combined, they uni- finally unified three championship belts into one. Therefore, your triple crown begins. Hmm. Very interesting, huh? So beginning of Heisei era was beginning of triple crown era. Then that on Jumbo to Tenru back to Jumbo and Terry Gordy comes in and Terry Gordy takes um, triple crown belt, but the Stan beat him and from Stan Gordy beat him again and from Gordy Stan Hansen back, but the Jumbo beats Stan and from Stan to Misawa era and um, from Misawa to Steve Williams, right? And Steve Williams of all guys, Kawada beats Steve Williams for the first mm. time for Triple Crown. But Triple Crown champion Kawada didn't last because Stan beat him. Then Stan, uh, the Misawa beats Stan, then Taue, Kobashi, Misawa, Kawada. And w- w- if you see this, that the title switch, what was interesting was that, that Kobashi got the title but never beat Misawa. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And Kawada got the Triple Crown title, but never beat Misawa yet. Mm-hmm. It was like very carefully booked. Yeah. And th- th- you might see them get a pinfall on Misawa and maybe a tag team match. Situation, or... right. Come very but close. At, at, It'll at come very Budokan, close. When the, the, the Triple Crown title match between those big four, um, and, and this is like early 90s, Jumbo got sick and it was sidelined for you know like a year you know mm-hmm. and then uh, really took over and also also in 1990 when Tenru left and to form new company SWS Super World Sports mm-hmm. that made uh, the absence of Tenru and his guys made Misawa uh, you know, available for, to become uh, the new superstar of that era 
And quick, you know, just as soon as Tenru left the company, Misawa took off this tiger mask and becomes Misawa. Because everybody knew that was Misawa, right? Mm-hmm. And very next Budokan show, Misawa, uh, non-title match, but Misawa beat Jumbo one to three in the middle of the ring for the first time ever. That really established Misawa as your guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much like today's... Um, Kazuchika Okada type, uh, or uh, in in 2000s Hiroshi Tanahashi, like you know, you have new sensation kind mm. of thing. Generational star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But these things are important in wrestling, you know. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah, it was a big moment. Yeah, because same guy can be holding title forever, right? But people, uh, it has to be done in the ring. That the uh, in Misawa clearly beating Jumbo really signified that uh, that was a day Misawa became your superstar. Yeah. <laughs> so the triple crown helped, and also that uh, Jumbo, you know, like a semi retiring and big four, you call them like the four pillars in states, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Misawa, uh, Kawada, Taue and Kobashi, those big four became four main event superstar, and the title match would be held by either Misawa against against Kawada or Kawada against Kobashi, Kobashi against Taue or Taue against Misawa or whichever combination that the title match was always those four. Yeah, and a little bit of Steve Williams, a little bit of Terry Gordy. Yeah, or Takayama. Stan was still in the picture. Akiyama a little bit. And a little bit later on, Vader joins All Japan too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very until Muto's era of All Japan. But th- that's another subject for another day. Mm-hmm. Because uh, 2002 on, Muto's version of All Japan after Misawa and his, his guys left All Japan to form Pro Wrestling Noor, that's the piece we have to talk about in different in another episode. Yeah. That's right. The one image you can uh, associate with Muto's All Japan is the famous image of him wearing the triple crown belt across his all around his shoulders and waist. And yeah, yeah. So, but it was like he said, it was a very different era, and it has to do with uh, pro wrestling Noah as well. So it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a story for next time. That was the formation of. Um, triple crown and the triple crown era and, and we need to uh, to note that uh, point out one more thing that by 1989 that the, this such a pro uh pro nwa that this is a big association with american big promoters or the nwa world champion coming into all japan like you know from dory funk to terry funk to jack briscoe hardy race to rick flair uh, and all the way to ricky steamboat or something uh that giant baba was the very first one to cut the tie with american companies mm-hmm isn't that interesting? And he created that that period in the '90s where the focus was the Triple Crown scene, right? Yeah, and also NWA was being like almost destroyed within. See, NWA Crockett, um, meaning the Jim Crockett promotion, Mid Atlantic, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, it expanded, and uh, at the same time. I mean, starting 1984, the WWE, Vince McMahon's WWF started national expansion. 
then all the smaller territory or local territory, NWA Georgia, NWA Florida, the Pensacola, the Tennessee, the Detroit, Indianapolis, even AW up north, that the, all these companies start closing its door one by one, remember? Mm-hmm. Then NWA Crockett promotion, Jim Crockett promotion with with uh, Ric Flair and Dusty Rose and Lex Luger, Sting, the expansion was there, but uh, they ran out of money and finally sold the company to Ted Turner's, you know, empire. And this NWA Crockett promotion became WCW, you know, World Championship Wrestling. Therefore, all through 90s, WWF, now it's WWE, of course, that two NWCW out of Atlanta, and they'll eventually have Monday Night War. But the, that era, the two major legal professional wrestling, Vince McMahon's WWE to Ted Turner's WCW, that era has begun. By then, Giant Baba sensed that there's, there's no point of you know to be affiliated with any American companies, right? Mm. And they had Stan, they had Dory Funk, and other you know individual affiliate that can that can bring in all the existing American talent. That's not with WCW or WWF. You know, 90s period of uh, all Japan wasn't just four pillars uh, that the big four: Misawa, Kobashi, Taue. Um, uh, what did I say? Misawa. Kawada, Taue, and Kobashi, right? Those are big four. But you still had Stan Hansen. You still had Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, the Danny Spivey, the Johnny Ace, Danny Crawford, Doug Furness, Abdullah the Butcher, Tiger Jeet Singh, Kamala, the, 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 the Fantastics, Malenko Brothers, Dynamite Kid after he quit WWE. And I just had like a 20, 30 American regular that uh, roster in all Japan. It's a very interesting era, you know, because Baba always used American well. Yeah, there was always a big part of uh, each tour and really kind of integral to the the way that Baba booked. It was really different from what New Japan was doing at the time. I mean, yeah, were... New Japan had a huge Japanese roster, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the way foreigners were used, it was just a different it was just a different style. Yeah, New Japan just had Vader and Bam Bam Bigger and Scott Norton. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Three big guys. Yeah. And you might be able, you know, later on you'd see Maybe some Benoit, junior, heavy, yeah. junior heavyweights, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Pegasus. International. Kid, Wild Pegasus, Chris Benoit, Black Tiger, Eddie Guerrero, and uh, such. And they eventually became superstar on their own and went, went back to America. And through WCW, they migrated into WWE at the end and became their own superstars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, yes, New Japan u- utilized American certain way, and Old Japan Giant Baba as a promoter always utilized American very well, huh? Hmm. I think so. Yeah, can you way. imagine like British Bulldogs against against Malenko Brothers right? in Japan? Right. Yeah, or the British Bulldogs against uh, Doug Furness and Phil Lafon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, they just had and fantastic uh, Tommy Rogers and Bob Fulton, great mm. tag team, yeah. And uh, and there there was like a F- Fuyuki and Kawada together at the Footloose at the Footloose, time, yeah, young yeah. Kawada, yeah, yeah. And, and occasionally they brought in legends like um, Jimmy Snuka, and uh, yeah, and also they had this retro 
uh, talk show, you know, they brought in people like Gene Kniski, Fritz von Erich, uh, King Curtis, Keller Kowalski, Don Leo Jonathan, and such, just to have talk show in the ring with Jan Baba at the time. And retro, you know, like a former world champion from another era. And uh, that was something only Jan Baba could pull. Was that the one that you were translating at? Yeah, I guess yeah. I wasn't gonna get to that, but yes. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You were you were the translator for that for you were in the ring with the Kaniski yeah, and Baba. Yeah, and yeah, I was honored. Yeah, I've seen the pictures, people. It's it's true. <laughs> Who was no, there? no, that's not. I'm not talking about myself. But no, the, I know. That but was giant that's cool. Baba. Yeah, it was yeah. like a big uh, kind of talk show talking about the JWA days and. Yeah, and then a different era, and but the older fans and also reading-oriented Japanese wrestling fans love this, you know, retro uh, former giant, you know, superstar from another era, you know, and uh, yeah, it was good that you know, oh, I wouldn't have met Jane Kaniski or Kira Kowalski, Don Leo Jonathan's and the people like that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, that was, that was nineteen ninety-one. 90, 91, 92 ish. Yeah. Yeah. And Dick Bayer Destroyer came back, you know, every summer until he really had his uh, retirement match in Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wow. this uh, history is very important. And all Japan has a very loyal fan base. Stan Hansen told me one time that, uh, you know, grandparent and parent and kid, like a three generation of wrestling fan, gather and come to Budokan. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very unique. Yeah, yeah. It's a good night of wrestling. And uh, Terry Funk grew old in front of the audience. That's you know? right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then he had a retirement, first retirement, but he came back. And he always had, like, you know, uh, all, that the former world champion, like Hardy Race and Nick Bockwinkle, always came back for a short tour. Mm-hmm. And actually, I believe Nick Bakwinko had his last match in Japan. And he didn't really announce retirement, but he never wrestled again after 87, 88. Yeah. You know what we should also probably mention is even until today, <laughs> the current version of All Japan, that when they uh, have the announcement for the Triple Crown, even today, Dory Funk Jr. is announced as... President of PWF. That's yeah. right. Even to, yeah. I, I, He has somebody made... else read it. And, right. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, on, behalf of, on behalf of Dory Funk Jr., PWF president. Right. They do that still. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. There have been... In recent years, he still sends in videos, like kind of like... What, yeah, yeah, like a video letter. Doing. Yeah. So that tradition is still well-kept, and the, the belts were just out in public a few years ago. I'm not sure about the current management, though, you know, because they... Well, that's a different story. They, that's yeah, a different I don't story. They really understand the legacy of these, you know, former superstar or the history of professional wrestling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the Triple Crown is there. And what's interesting is that now that the, uh, New Japan is sending some talent uh, to oh, today's old Japan, and then, and then Yuji Nagata of All Japan beat uh, Kento Miyahara to become a Triple Crown, and he's a Triple Crown champion. New Japan wrestler. The history is very interesting, huh? He's already had his first successful defense. He beat Ishikawa Shuji a few weeks right, ago. Right, Shuji Ishikawa, and it looks like he'll be holding the title for a while. Yeah. 
Seems and last so, yeah. year, when New Japan sent Tiger Mask, he beat uh, Aoyagi's younger brother to become a uh, junior heavyweight champion right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, it would be interesting, you know, because when you look back, like, New Japan wrestler holding uh, Triple Crown. But during this dark age, like in uh, year 2002, year 2003, 4, 5, people like Minoru Suzuki or Yoshihiro uh, Takeyama, they all held Triple Crown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more of a UWF, UWF heritage wrestlers. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, today we're talking about this origin of Triple Crown, which we have to talk about the origin of international heavyweight title and Pacific Wrestling Federation title and UN, United National Heavyweight title. They each had very long history. Yeah. And it helps if when you understand the lineage, you understand how important some certain matches are depending on the characters involved in the matches. And also, now they use this unified one belt, big belt, that uh, mm-hmm. they designed recent years. But up until a couple of years ago, they were using this international title, PWF title, and UN title, very same physical belt all these historical champions was holding, like with their sweat in, in it. You know? mm-hmm. The Jumbo, the Baba, the Stan, the Brody, the Dory Funk, the, uh, all these historical superstars actually held that belt. Very mm. same physical belt. That's right. Yeah. So the championship belt is very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I mean, All-Asia yeah. titles are still like that, right, in all Japan? Yeah, Asia, they, they, they changed the belt to new design now, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, right, that that Asian tag team belt was held. I mean, goes all the way back to like sixty something. Yeah, that the Inoki held it, and uh, yeah, Baba held it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these other people I mean, actually held up title and, and wore on their waist and uh, the the superstars sweat in it. You know? yeah. So it's important and better than any jewel, don't you think? I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for some I mean, non-wrestling fans, you know, championship belt in wrestling don't mean shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, Triple uh, Crown, it's it's cool, and it is kept, the, the, the line is kept in some uh-huh, way. And uh-huh. it, it feels important. And the, as more time goes on, the more important it feels. And also, it was, see, some people still call, like, international title, NWA, NWA, international title. It, it wasn't, though, really. It was JWA, Ricky Dozen's international title onto uh, All Japan, Giant Baba's All Japan the, the international title. So it was nothing to do with NWA. And funny enough that Giant Baba was the first promoter, the major promoter, the world, you know, worldwide promoter that, that really cut the tie with NWA concept. <clears throat> yeah. And it was the Triple Crown that really highlighted the non-NWA relationship. It was... Right, I think so, yeah. It was so all Japan. Then, then, you know, and, and his, evidently, that the NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, that goes back to, what, the 1948? That, that went out of window, too, because NWA was no longer when WCW was formed. Yeah. And WCW would form a relationship later on with... New Japan. New Japan Pro Wrestling, yeah, it's interesting. And they try to revive the NWA title, and uh, say that the first annual, 
on the second annual uh, G1 Climax Tournament, the title match was held between Masachono and Ravishing Recruit to determine NWA revived version of NWA World Title. Oh wow! It's like NWA title in New Japan ring. I was going like, wow! It's like I have to remember this. <laughs> I know it gets confusing, doesn't it? Yeah, very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the 90s fan, like a, like an older fan at the time, says, I don't think this NWA is NWA. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. yeah, there'll be a cutoff line. Yeah, but that's kind of like your history class in high school that you can't sure. remember at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to you have to make the uh, the chart like Keno. You have to make the, uh, the chronology oh, chart. Oh, yeah, Nimpio? Nimpio, yeah. yeah. You have to write it out year by year and memorize it. And basically, wrestling fans are pretty good at it, though. Yeah. 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 Because, you know. If you ask somebody from Tennessee or Dallas, Texas, that they'll tell you everything about world class in Tennessee uh, unification. If you remember Kerry Von Eric and Jerry Lawler program. Yeah, I think Remember champion championships are a way of uh, remembering generations uh, or certain uh, eras in pro wrestling too. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, today's you know <clears throat> WWE US title. They uh, they they claim that uh, that the origin of US United States championship goes all the way back to Harley Race or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know which lineage, but uh, yeah, because there there were more than one U.S. title at the time. But uh, yes, history is very important. Yeah. Well, if people have any questions on Triple Crown or anything else, uh, anything where, else, yeah, yeah, where can we reach you? So we covered the IWGP, we covered Triple Crown. It was history lesson. It's nothing new for older fans, but uh, if you're a wrestling fan, serious wrestling fan in twenties or thirties. These are the things that happened before they were born, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, for older fans over 50, is nothing new probably, but uh, I thought it was important to, you know, for us to, like, uh, not have lecture or anything like that. I'm not that great, but it's just uh, we, I thought we should organize this, you know, that the history and the dates and the year and events so everybody can have more organized understanding of it. Yeah, yeah so because some, sometimes it can it be – it's the, the first of all, what's going on, it's all in Japanese language, so not everybody speaks Japanese <laughs> Sorry language. Sorry about that. No, yeah, it's just this is how it is. It's just it's what the situation is. So based on that and just the con- sometimes confusing nature of world championship title reigns and names and changes and v- – yeah. and tournaments uh it's a, one way of yeah being able to clearly think about what happened during those years what were the titles associated with which wrestlers um because yeah. it couldn't yeah. be confusing especially when we're talking about japanese wrestling in english so <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's, but yeah, it's a nice you, way of clarifying you understand things. understand this, you know, the history mm. of it, you can go into YouTube today and find old UN title match between Tenru and Ted DiBiase or something, and it, it means more now, yeah? It means more and could, because you know uh, what was happening before it and how that title turned out then and the legacy of the title and what that 
particular match meant in the context of history. It's fun. Yeah, just um, a while back, I just watched Antonio Inoki against Young Dick Murdoch UN title match from 1971. It, mm -hmm. it was on YouTube. <laughs> How was it? How, does it hold up? Yeah, you have to understand everybody was much younger and it was two out of three, four match. So Inoki gets pinned too. You know, it's shocking because everything becomes the, the one, four match, right? So nobody beats Inoki. But uh, if it was a two out of three, four match situation, yeah, Inoki gets pinned in second fall. Uh, it's like, wow, that's odd, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. But it was also a little bit more normal at the time, right? Mm -hmm, I think so. I have a yeah. big a big match would still be two out of three falls. Yeah, up until like 80-ish, yeah. At least NWA World Title match in Japan was always like a in two out of three fall match, yeah. But I think the, the one fall match is more exciting, you know? It, it depends on uh, – there are a lot of factors that really it's, – it's hard to compare because – Right, you, right, because the pacing is different. And, yeah. I mean, look at Lucha Libre. I mean, a lot of it is based around the two out of three falls Right, idea. that too, right. And the two sets of fall, pinfall taking place at the same time. Sure, yeah, simultaneous yeah, pinfalls. Crazy, yeah, yeah. So it's like a different form of art altogether. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so it, we learn a lot from that too. Yeah. And if yeah, uh, stop learning, if people did have questions, yes, where um, can we reach on you? Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O, Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumisaito on Facebook. Please message me first. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K N I P P E R, and that's it for this part of our championship origin series. And next time we'll talk about GHC, GHC yeah. heavyweight title lineage. And it all connects. There's a lot of, there's a lot of what we were talking about. It's all, it all blends and it all strings together. So we'll talk about that next time. So I guess until next time. So long from Tokyo. Write that, write that down Fumi Saito. <laughs>MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.